What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It's Jack. I just wanted to talk to you today about a way that you can help support the podcast if you're not already. We would really appreciate it if you guys went and reviewed us on Apple or Spotify. Those reviews really help people find the podcast and help it get recognized. And, uh, you know, if you've been enjoying the show, we really appreciate your support. Another thing that you can do to support the channel is to become a Patreon member. So we have Patreon memberships that start at just $5 a month. And when you sign up, you get access to all of our episodes ad-free. Uh, that's the big bonus for that. I mean, we also do some Patreon bonus episodes for our subscribers. Uh, but this is the the biggest and best way that you can support the Team House channel and podcast uh, if you'd like to. And we really appreciate that. So go in and check us out at patreon.com slash the team house. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Eyes On. I'm Andy Milburn. Jay, over to you. I'm Jason Lyons. Over to you, D. Uh, I'm Dimitri. I'm the producer of this in the team house. And I'd like to welcome our dear leader, Jack Murphy, here to the show. Jack, thanks for coming. My, my Unabomber tie-dye today yeah really we're showing up we're having a snow day we're having a snow day here in new york so kids home from school nice. uh just chilling at home and uh but thank you guys for having me on the show jack i you know at the risk of sounding sycophantic here of course this is a big deal for us on uh on eyes on uh to everyone so we're gonna make uh we're gonna make the the absolute most of you all right uh and not not bore our listeners with my specific questions but i'm anxious anxious to hear what has been going on in your life. Uh, followers of the team house uh, will, uh, of course, be familiar with your your uh, your on-the-target questions, but um, are also aware that you have an alter life with the high side, Sean Naylor. Your work as an investigative, investigative journalist and a fan base that rivals Taylor Swift. I'm reading from <laughs> your own publicity release here. So let's let's hear it. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, we've been keeping busy with uh, with the team house interviews, as as you guys know. Um, we just interviewed a Ranger JTAC last night. This guy Eddie Chavez is super awesome. Um, but I, I mean, yeah, super busy with that, and then you guys are a part of it now, uh, which is the cool thing. Uh, doing eyes on, and you know, we're really happy to have you doing this, and excited to see where it goes. Uh, the other stuff I've been working on is, yeah, I, I, um, have a small news outlet, small, but growing, uh, with Sean Naylor, a colleague of mine. 
uh, where we publish a lot of news about espionage and special operations um, and done, you know, a handful of stories. I mean, the, the kind of criteria for the stuff we publish on there is it's got to be breaking news. It's got to be investigative. Um, mostly it's like long form stuff, like between eight to 10 to 12,000 words, not all of it, but a lot of it is. Um, so that for a serious audience, right? Not suggesting for a moment that you, you ever have an audience that is not serious, but I mean, you know, the, the, the type of person who is, who wants to do a deep dive on, on yeah. topics that you, and recognizes, I mean, how, how, how critical, how fundamental they are to, uh, you, you know, to, to kind of the community that we've been involved in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a lot of fun and I mean, working with Sean has been great. Um, some of the stories we've published on there have been, you know, kind of ideas that have kicked around in the back of my mind for 10 years. And I mean, Jason has probably heard me talk about this stuff. Um, and probably tired of hearing me talk about it. <laughs> Not at all. Um, so like the, uh, the CIA JSOC Omega teams in Afghanistan, something that had been in the back of my mind for a long time. And we wrote a huge piece about that program. Can you give us a quick rundown? Yes. Yeah, so, oh, I mean, it, it has a convoluted, complicated history of how it came together. But, um, you know, the CIA was doing paramilitary operations in Afghanistan and JSOC was doing special operations in Afghanistan in, you know, 2002. And um, they ended up coming together. Um, initially, it was because the JSOC guys like, like to hang out on CIA bases where they had alcohol and it helped get them out on missions. I mean, honestly, that's, that's, that's the truth. Okay. That's yeah. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people it, know you're not joking. But it, it was, it was a way to, it was a way for them to get out on missions. I mean, seriously, it was, it was a way to get them in the, get themselves into the game. Um, but that developed and was formalized into a more serious relationship that utilized uh, JSOC assets and CIA title authorities. Um, so meaning that the CIA could conduct covert operations in Afghanistan, going out against foreign fighters, um, against, um, you know, Al Qaeda. Um, but JSOC had, I mean, they, they're, they're the muscle. So they have the assaulters, they have camo guys, they have medics, they have JTACs, they have all these air assets and medical assets that they can call in that the CIA could not call in or that, or was very difficult for them to call in. Like they could call in ECAS, like emergency close air support, but not, you know, they couldn't do what a JTAC does. Yeah. yeah and yeah. so that's what this fusion was. Um, there were still ground branch contractors acting as like the platoon sergeants and platoon leaders for the Indige. And some of these Indige forces were like 5,000 strong in some places, like in Kandahar being run by 12 guys or 15 guys, right? Um, but then JSOC would come in, and initially it was a lot of dev group guys, but as the years went on, it became a lot of Ranger Regiment guys running it. And they brought in, you know, some additional uh, assaulters or recon guys to act as like ground force. Um, they weren't the ground force commander, the CIA was, but they, they helped with that command and control piece and that coordination element with other uh, military assets that needed to be brought in for some of these operations. So that, I mean, there were what's the teams were went by 10. So there's Omega 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, um, all the way up to 70. 
Um, there's stories about a organization that was informally known as Omega 80. That was a SAS project. Um, I don't think I even wrote about that in the article actually. Yeah. Um, so, but that's the, that's the thumbnail sketch of yeah. what the Omega program yeah. was. You know, you know what's intriguing about that, Jack, is we're so piss poor at capturing our own lessons learned, right, institutionally, mm. and, and to include in the soft community. And yet, you know, a prevailing lesson learned Afghanistan, Iraq, actually, uh, a number of cases of, of irregular warfare. Coin warfare. And, and so it, this comes up in, uh, oh, damn, I forget the... Uh, I forget the book. It was a current. There was a, a an irregular warfare compendium. Um, and I forget the name of the author. He's she's going to be mad at me. Uh, that came out a couple of years ago. He's an SF guy, doctor. I think probably you you remember the uh, the name. But one thing it concludes in there is a light footprint of you know carefully. No surprise here, but carefully selected guys. But the key part is a light footprint. So you're not. You know, you're not taking over that right. that effort, right? Right. And and it seems to me what you're talking about is exactly the sort of footprint that's going to be useful going ahead. That you know, we're and and that easy that the way that the easy integration and it only happens it happens best in JSOC easy integration between all of those assets, right? To include well, EMO. Um, there's definitely a case to be made that Omega was a template that should have been used across Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, because you had, yeah, like, you know, maybe 10 CIA uh, employees, contractors, um, five, six JSOC guys, um, maybe some, some like, agency support people, like some analysts and some reports officers. Um, but long story short, I mean, there were times where you had like 12 to 15 people yeah. running a paramilitary indige force of, you know, 500 to 5,000, um, depending on the, on the location. Um, but I, I think, I think JSOC is really the element that brings in all the, uh, you know, when they come to town, they bring all yeah. the tents, they bring all the aircraft. I, like people have complained to me, we still can't run an op without deploying half of the damn air, air force. Um, but that's the CIA really does, um, keep that that light footprint and that that at least quasi deniable presence i think they do that really well um much better than the military does and, but in omega was the fusion of the capabilities it brought in the boast of the the best of both worlds and that's uh through the the the, the system the formal system is it's called uh d triple s i believe it's the defense sensitive support system and so that's the system that allows the military to request cia assets or the cia to request military assets um and, and so that's that's what you saw in omega that's what that program really represented i think yeah i think the problem is that once you put big u.s military in charge things go down the tube on on that kind of initiative. Right? It was so you, like Wes, Wes Morgan's book points out, I mean, you know, not that these soldiers weren't brave, but I mean, the more Americans you deploy there, the more targets the enemy has to shoot. That's right. At, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You look at where things have gone relatively well. I mean, Colombia and, you know, I mean, you did not have the lead, but we certainly played a key role, um, mm -hmm. but primarily with small teams, right? The Philippines. Mostly soft or, yeah, Philippines, same way. So given the uh, the scope of or the the environment that Omega was used in, do you see 
I mean, you kind of alluded to it. Do you see it being used on a scale on, against a, a uh, enemy like uh, China or, you know, even in Europe, if it had to be used, those kind of yeah, well, matchups? I mean, as far as a program that's actually called Omega, I don't know. I, I don't think the Omega program per se has spread out to other parts of the world, right? That That's... That's like the the this that would be the sensationalist story about mm. you know CIA JSOC hit yeah. squads running around the world. I don't I don't believe that's happening, but that template and that idea that concept has been used um, subsequently. Um, for instance, in Somalia, there's an organization called the Puntland Strike Force uh, that was looking for American hostages, and that very much utilized like a small footprint of. CIA personnel and uh, JSOC personnel, like uh, there are actually some RRC guys and some dev group guys who are on that one. Um, Yemen is another um, another example where uh, Marsoc actually trained up in a, a, a organization. They were called the Alamo Scouts, or I'm sorry, the Yukon Scouts. Mm. And the Yukon Scouts were trained up in Saudi Arabia, as I recall. And then they were inserted into Yemen to do intelligence collection. Mm. And that was a very effective program from what I know before it was shut down, which is one of the other frustrations with some of these programs is once we get them up and running and working, then someone in Congress decides to shut it down. Um, and But then arguably, you could say that the CIA is also using this sort of a, a similar template in Ukraine today. Mm. And I don't I don't know everything that SAD or, or Ground Branch is doing in, in Ukraine, but I know that they are very active over there. Um, so I think, yeah, now could you use that template against like major peer actors like mm -hmm. China? Um, I think the answer is yes. Uh, if, if a war did break out with China, there were for sure, I mean, the, the definite special operations move to play there is to stir up a rear guard, uh, action to stir up a war in China's rear areas and places like Tibet and Xinjiang, mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's where maybe you would see special forces teams or or blended teams like Omega going in and uh, and working with local forces. I think, um, yeah, that I I mean that's obviously a great point. It kind of all blends into the discussion we had last week about Ukraine and and the fact that they've reconfigured their squads to twelve, sixteen men, half of whom are drone operators. Uh, you know, take like it task orienting these these small teams so for instance in peer on peer conflict as against china you know the the capabilities that are all important are joint fires right long range precision but joint fires and joint isr so you can figure your teams mm -hmm. to support those two missions and they become absolutely relevant more so than than a uh uh Infantry squad, Marine infantry squad at current TO and TE. Well, we, I mean, we imagine, talking, you know, we you've talking, got a small. Sorry, go ahead, Jim. I was just going to say, we were talking about it even towards the tail end of my own time in the military, which is a ways back now, like almost 15 years ago, about how enablers are becoming more important than shooters. Mm, and, yeah. and I think that's a theme that yeah. has continued yeah. over the last 10 years. Yeah, very much so. so, such that you get missions, and I can think of several cases where, you know, down at the team level, uh, you have you have operators, and I hate using, I hate that term anyway, but operators supporting, for instance, mm -hmm. the SIGINT guys within that same team and mm -hmm. muscle lay down. 
and yeah, so, you know, configuration going ahead, key thing would be no longer having these guys who can lug 80 pound rucksacks up and down the beach, but people who are adept at drones, adept at, uh, you know, at, at all source uh, analysis at that level and collection. Uh, and and the operators use, you know, they focus on long range precision strike with whatever, you know, whatever system and portable system they have. So you're right. What about uh, you? You were talking about a little bit about uh, Gaza, Jack, before mm -hmm. before we came into some and, and brought up some really fascinating stuff. I felt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for another article that uh, that. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That Sean and I worked on for the high side was about uh, the JSOC deployment to Gaza and how after the October 7th attack happened that we deployed a, a large JSOC task force to uh, the island of Cyprus and the Mediterranean uh, off the coast uh, to stage for contingency operations, largely potentially hostage rescue operations in Gaza itself. Um, and this turned into a huge, huge deal um, for JSOC multiple, multiple planning cells working on this problem. And, and I mean, it really was a problem. I mean, they were trying to figure out how to get in there, get these hostages and get out and, and getting out turned out to be the biggest hiccup. Um, because I mean, Gaza is essentially a fortress. Um, then you're dealing with all the rubble. Um, how do you get helicopters in there? How do you get operators in there without, you know, losing, you know, having birds shot out of the sky. Um, and, you know, the, the planning process evolved into them using everything. I mean, there were going to be helicopters flying off of aircraft carriers. There wow. are going to be guys coming in on boats. There are going to be non-standard vehicles being used, um, you know, as well as military vehicles being used. Um, the intelligence piece on it was also incredibly difficult. We had so much drones in the air. I mean, it was insane. Um, if if I told you, you know, the number of tails or the number of orbits that were involved, you're I mean, talking I, I, over 
over the over ground. Gaza itself. Over Gaza itself. Wow. And I, I mean, I almost don't mm. believe the numbers I've heard as well. I mean, there's so so many, um, like, how do you get that many birds in the air over such a small strip yeah. of real estate? I was going to say but that. You know, but, you know, this is good news. This is good news. It, finally, it looks as though the U.S. military is finally capable of swarming UAVs. Even if it's in inadvertently, <laughs> yeah, just yeah, in a, I, I in mean, a rush well, for came, information, they, they came. They came from like two or three combatant commands because there is like CENTCOM, AFRICOM, and Eurocom all contributing to this thing. Like they were flooding everything. They were. Can, there can was you imagine hold off other targets? Can you imagine setting up the RAS on, on that or, or doing the uh, the you know the air traffic control? Yeah, deconfliction's got to be hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, I, I was able to talk to some folks and hear a little bit about, you know, some of the technologies that are brought to bear. Um, there, there's, we have stuff that can see through concrete to a certain depth, um, that I, I won't say what depth, depth it is, but to see through concrete, to see underground. It's, what, it's radar, like a LIDAR? A form of it or a LIDAR probably. Yeah. Um, there's uh there's other technologies that we gave to the Israelis um yeah. to use on the ground. I was just gonna mention that the SIGIN stuff that you yeah, told like, me about anyway. Yeah, pretty AI gnarly. And a, AI well, we, enabled SIGIN. We've got uh, a that, we do can I just say we've got a no classified uh information policy here on uh on guys. <laughs> Yeah, th these are these are. Uh, I'm not. I won't get into like any uh, any like specifics, but this is. These are definitely highly classified systems that we've never shared with any foreign partner ever. No kidding. Um, this is like the most cutting edge stuff we have, and we lent it to the Israelis to enable them to collect intelligence on the ground. Um, we also had JSOC, uh, or I'm sorry, JTAC guys, um, uh, TFO guys other operators on the ground in Israel, not in Gaza, but in Israel, um, helping them out. Um, so that, that's, the, that's sort of the gist of the, of the story that I wrote about Gaza. But I mean, uh, obviously the hostage rescue operations that were planned did not come to fruition. And I, I think there's probably a lot of frustration there for everyone involved. Yeah. Where is that? That story is up on the high side. Yeah. Wait, can you, can you explain what the high side is real quick? Yeah, the, See, we're the giving you a side... golden opportunity, Jack. You can <laughs> pay me on the back end. Oh, well, the, the 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 high side is a it's a Substack, which is Substack is just a, a platform that you know journalists and writers can use um, to publish their work on. And um, Sean Naylor, Sean is a, a been a military journalist far longer than I have since the the 1990s. Um, he wrote the history book about JSOC, Relentless Strike. Um, him and I really met. Well, I mean, we had met previously, but we really got to talking at a OSS gala in, in D.C. a couple of years back about all the stories we had on the back burner that we weren't working on. And so we decided to create the, our own news outlet and start um, publishing these stories. Um, and so this is the stuff we've been working on. Gaza, the Omega program. Uh, we wrote a, a history about the commanders in extremist force, the special forces SIF teams. Um now, right now, now defunct yeah defunct uh we we mm -hmm. wrote about uh the green light program which was the guys who would jump in with the backpack nukes mm -hmm. the sf teams did a really deep dive on that subject um more so than has ever been written before um and i i mean i'll tell you right now sean is working on a on a story about a special forces and cia legend um jason knows who i'm talking about um this guy's a special forces hall of famer was in the agency for decades. 
Um, dude is definitely the real deal. What was awarded the Distinguished Service Cross in Vietnam, which might be upgraded. There's an effort to have it upgraded to a Medal of Honor. Um, and that's going to be like probably a three-part story um, because Sean is, you know, writing like 30, 40,000 words about this, about this person. Um, so it, it's been a lot of fun. Looking forward to that one. That should be published as like a book. I mean, hopefully it is at some point. I mean, not if not by us, I mean, somebody else, you know, takes the ball and, and writes the story or, or makes the movie. What were the what were the uh, repercussions for Sean after publication of Relentless Strike? I mean, were there any from the DOD? go after him in any way or or was it I, I don't, just I don't know anything of uh, you'd have to ask Sean but I, I don't think DOD went after him um I mean I can just speak to what I what I do know is I mean I do know it was controversial in in, in the military um there were people freaking out about it as oh I yeah recall. I remember that yeah um but at the same time that book is now I've heard that when they do like in briefs for like people who are coming like onboarding into JSOC um, that people will hold up that book and tell them this is the one you need to read to understand this organization. So, I mean, which it's, is I ultimately it's, the ultimate accolade, right? I mean, a kind of, yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, I, I think that's, um, that's also the, the push and pull or the tug of war, uh, with, with all the work that Sean and do, I, Sean and I do, I mean, sometimes it's begrudged. Sometimes it's held up, uh, as, as, you know, uh, exemplary journalism. And I mean, a lot of that really depends. I mean, are you talking about good things that they did or bad things that they did? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but as a journalist, you can't really play favorites. You have to write both. Um, and uh, I mean, but we're, we're happy to, to, to write both sides of it, I think. And, and I mean, to talk about all the, the good things people do, uh, do in the military, it's it's funny. I, I laugh when people tell me, "How come you never write about all the good things that we're doing?" It's like, well, I do. Yeah. The problem it, is you don't read them. Yeah, it, it kind of misses the point about journalism being, you know, in in uh, in a open society, being the watchdog of democracy, right? Well, and the watchdog yeah. of democracy doesn't help things by constantly throwing accolades. <laughs> yeah, and these these commands don't want to acknowledge sometimes that it's a double-edged sword. Like they want to they want to use the press to put out like positive PR about themselves, but then they don't want to deal with the repercussions when yeah. you know, hey, that guy who sexually assaulted a woman in your command and then you glossed it over like that's bad. You probably shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, there there's mm -hmm. definitely two sides to it. So, Jack, do you find that when you're writing these stories, whatever the topic is, that uh, you get more, gain more ground with uh, military versus Intel, CIA, uh, DIA, whatever, and along those lines uh, from the lower ranks rather than the, you know, general officers? Or is it just depend on what the topic is, whether they're willing to cooperate or not? Yeah, when you say gain ground, I mean, is that what you mean? Like get some traction with like people talking to me? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, people talk to you to all, for all types of different reasons. Um, I, I think that, you know, what separates a lot of my work from so much of what else is out there is that the people I talk to primarily are not like generals or mm -hmm. retired generals. Um, I talked to, I talked to enlisted guys because that's what I was and that's yeah. what I know. And, and I know those guys 
are the ones that have, you know, boots on the ground. And I, and I, I don't, I don't think that it's important to talk to the officer side too. Um, the, the last article I wrote, I interviewed two retired generals. Um, they, they were, you know, young officers when, mm. when I, as far as the events that I was interviewing them yeah. about, but, um, I think definitely a different sort of quality comes out when you're talking to, to, you know, the, the E6, the E7, the E8, yep. um, that, that was, that's, you know, you know, I know it's a cliche, but boots on the ground. Yeah. Um, and I think with know, some of the stories, sorry, some of the stories that you've written, some of the more controversial ones, it's not just boots on the ground, but it's boots in the barracks. You know, if it's like sexual assault stuff or, you know, um, in the case of the Marine Corps, the, the state of the, you know, barracks on some of these bases, mm-hmm. these are the kids, these E3s, E4s that are living in this stuff. So why would you want to talk to an old dick pics, I might add? Yes. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's, I always have, have to be careful about talking about sources, but I'll, I'll say this. And I mean, this is open in, in some cases, especially when it comes to like the barracks and the on post housing stuff. Some of my best sources uh, on these topics, those types of topics, um, have been women, uh, mm. and particularly the wives. Um, and I, I sometimes find that the wives have bigger balls than their husbands, uh, <laughs> that they're less trusting of the system, mm. and they're more apt to talk to a journalist. Um, I, I mean, I once uh, this this was actually an important story that I haven't published yet, but I I will. This was a this was a murder case. And I talked to a special forces wife about her. She was instrumental in, in making sure that justice was served in this mm. particular case. And she agreed to talk to me. I met her in a coffee shop and we talked and she told me, my husband is at home right now seething because I'm here talking to you. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, sometimes it's the women who ante up, who, who soldier up and, and are willing to, you know, choose the hard right over the easy wrong, um, unfortunately. Did and you, do these? Did, oh, sorry, uh, sorry. Yeah, Anna. go ahead. Uh, just to follow up, do do you? How often? More often than not, do you approach a source, vice someone hearing you're writing this story, and someone coming to you, or even initially saying, "Hey, you need to write about this." I mean, I, I would say ninety nine percent of the time, it's me approaching sources. Um, mm-hmm. Like, yes, people people try to like cold pitch me sometimes, and very rarely would I say would say would i say something comes out of that once in a while mm-hmm. once in a while but one yeah you know, once in a while i might have someone come to me like hey jack i see that you know you're you're you know willing to run stories about this or that you know i was involved in this thought you might be interested once in a while that might happen but yeah, yeah <laughs> it takes a bit more work than than that usually i've seen the cold emails because some of them come to the team house podcast about like yeah. i got a tip for you jack and i'm like Holy yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can imagine some of the people that, that reach out. I mean, awesome people sometimes, but also, I mean, literally like schizophrenics and, and mm. people who are going through some things. I mean, that's, yeah. that happens as well. Yeah. It's the Sorting same out the week from the chaff. Yeah. It's, it's a big challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Man. The one recent story on the high side that I, you know, I just liked was, uh, you know, the JSOC state department kind of, uh, you oh, know, yeah clash about uh trying to you know i guess not save but like figure out where to bring this like uh codel that was going around they were supposed to be in israel when uh october 7th happened or they were heading uh, there no so it was uh senator Joni ernst uh was in saudi arabia when the attack happened 
and uh, they were scheduled to visit Israel next. And then the, this is this was Sean Naylor's story that he published on the high side. This one was really really had nothing to do with me. He he did this one um, this week or within the last week. Um, and the State Department did not want this congressional delegation going to Israel in the aftermath of this attack, and the security situation was pretty messed up. Um, and, uh, that was when JSOC stepped in and said, Hey, we'll support you. And we'll, we'll take you over there. And, uh, then suddenly the state department changed their tune and was like, Oh, 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 no, we support this. We support this. They didn't, they didn't want JSOC to be in the lead. Um, which I, I thought was interesting. And, uh, you know, JSOC is very good at building these relationships. Um, building relationships with politicians, decision makers, policy makers. Um, there's one relationship that I know that JSOC cultivated with, oh yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. They cultivated a relationship with Henry Kissinger before he passed on. Um, that, that was much deeper, I think, than people realize. Um, so, I mean, yeah, they're good at that. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, they, they successfully, you know, helped, um, you know, Senator Ernst get into, uh, into Israel for that visit. Awesome. Yeah. It's interesting. What, what, uh, what lies ahead? What, are, what are your plans? I mean, any, uh, any changes in store with the team house aside from the exciting new launch of a podcast, uh, what, and, you know, and, guys, uh, and, guys, course, and of course, you guys, and of course, and, and, and we've got to answer some of the fan mail in our inbox. So anything you can oh tell God. us about your personal life to be <laughs> very welcome. You, yeah, you guys are the business now. You, you are the, you are the news literally and figuratively. Um, you're the new thing, uh, that, that we've been working on. Um, you know, the, the, the team house continues on. We're going to continue interviewing great people. Uh, our next interview is with, uh, Jack Devine who was the head of the National Clandestine Service at CIA, uh, had like a 32-year career there. Um, with the high side, I mean, the, the one article, the big one is what I mentioned previously, uh, the Special Forces Hall of Famer. Um, that's the next one. Uh, then we have some other stories uh, that we'll be working on, uh, more espionage-themed uh, uh, stories. Um, oh, and then... Uh, there, we have a, a a piece that I've already written that uh, I need Sean's going to go over the draft pretty soon about Colombia, and uh, this is oh, the effort right. to re to rescue our four hostages, yeah. or I'm sorry, three hostages that were held down in Colombia for like seven years. Um, and so I did a lot of interviews with special forces guys. Uh, I interviewed one who's, of the hostages. Who's the uh, Green Beret 06 who does a, who was there at the time? I don't know if he was an 06 at the time. I, I forget his name. Good dude. Um, but he does, he regularly does kind of a roadshow talk of, uh, of that particular. Oh yes. I do know who you're talking about. He briefs, he briefs the, the, the operation. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. I'm, I, his name's on the tip of my tongue. Um, someone, I, will, I have, someone will call in. I, I mean, I have. I have a folder here on my desktop of stuff he gave me. Actually, I have like I, I I literally I have a PowerPoint <laughs> that he, from yeah. him somewhere here. Uh oh, Wilson. Yeah, yeah. So Colonel you know, Greg one, Wilson is that's that's him. It, it's another example of how shitty we are at propagating. I hate using that term, but I just did. 
lessons learned, right? I mean, that was a that was a good news story. Yeah, uh, but it but it isn't something that I studied at any point when I was in the military. I just happened to, you know, be in the audience when when that brief was given, and and you know, made a beeline for him afterwards to to hear more. Yeah, those those guys were held for like five years, and like yeah. a lot of stuff happened in that process. I mean, CIA, FBI, JSOC special forces all i mean everyone got their hands hands in it at various times um so that's probably going to be a series um that, that might end i mean we'll, that we plan to come back to and write more and more on um because it's it's such like a long kind of epic story um yeah, so that's another good... one that, that's another one that's on the back burner excellent i got Gee. one more question for jack yeah. and i don't know if he's going to be willing to talk about this the Ukraine <laughs> article, the CIA sabotage Ukraine article that got punted, not even punted, like you got fucked over, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, and you wrote a little blurb about it at that bottom of your mm. article and stuff about what went down. You know, would you be open to talking about that a little yeah, bit? More? I mean, I, I, pu I published it. I ran it. So, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly open to talk about it. And uh, so, yeah, I wrote an article about how. Uh, the CIA working through liaison, it has orchestrated a series of sabotage attacks within Russia itself. Um, and these were attacks that targeted infrastructure, um, oil refineries, ammo depots, um, propaganda mills. I mean, all sorts of different things um, that could be considered legitimate targets. Um, and it was done with, you know, using old school techniques, sleeper cells, working out of cache site locations, taking demo and, and hitting these targets. Um, some of, some of them were done with, uh, with some military support. Uh, but a lot of it was, you know, deep behind enemy lines, old school, like OSS style operations. Um, so yeah, I wrote the article about that. Um, I mean, that, that subject is touchy, uh, and it's, uh, not necessarily well-received, uh, either, either on the American government side or, or even amongst other journalists. I mean, I, I received criticism for it. Um, but I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I, I definitely certainly stand by the story I wrote. I think it's, it's more important now than, than ever. Um, and I mean, it's, it's a huge story. Yeah. And the thing is like, you have several sources what several mean more than three more than four that's there, more that's several there were is as far as off the you know anonymous sources in that story i mean there were six of them um so i mean that's, so let me ask you something the new york times or the washington post or the wall street journal journalists there if they have one or two sources they're running shit and they they will cite you know, an official familiar or a mm -hmm. source familiar with, you know, so, I mean, their, their sourcing is often even more vague. Um, and, and I, I, again, I mean, I'm not necessarily out to throw shade, but a lot of those mm -hmm. publications are reliant on their Pentagon press corps, mm -hmm. white house press corps. Um, they're reliant on the controlled leaks that come, that come out of the CIA I mean, I can tell you specifically in the CIA who leaks these stories to the New York Times. And in and, and leaks needs to be in like air quotes because it's an official leaks. <laughs> yeah, an unofficial press release. Mm. Yeah. Jack, Would I'm going to ask well, you. Andy, this, I have one yeah. more question about the story. It's a little bit more inside baseball. 
Would you be willing to talk about like what went down in terms of like the editing process and the fact checking process and like what the agency did to kind of like body block <laughs> yeah. you? Heard that was story. that was that was that was quite a wake up call. Um, so, yeah, I wrote I, we, I wrote this story. I was working with a major publication to run it. Um, I had a, a fact checker that was working with me. She went through everything. I mean, it was it was quite a quite a, a drag, but a necessary one, you know, for for something like that, for a story like that. Um, we got right up to the finish line. We had a publication plan. The plan was to call up um, because you have to it's res responsible as a journalist, call up the agency and ask for their official comment on the story. We're going to give them about 48 hours to comment if they want to. And then we're going to run the story. That was the publication plan. The way it went down was that we asked for comment. Uh, the deputy director wanted to talk to my editor like right away. Um, my editor said, when are you available for this call? I said, anytime but 2 p.m. because I have to pick up my daughter from school. That phone call between my editor and the deputy director took place at 2 p.m. as I was picking up my daughter. Whatever they hashed out in private, he completely denied the story, said it's not us, said that it's all the Ukrainians. They've gone rogue. They're out of control doing whatever they want. And we we have no supervision over anything. Um, so by the time I, I came back home from picking up my daughter at school, the entire tone and tenor of that story and my working relationship with that publication had changed. And now we're doing a fire drill and we're having to go back to sources and we're having to go to talk to former CIA lawyers about this and that. And I mean, it, it got bizarre. Um, and all of the sourcing that we had done was now kind of thrown out the window because the deputy director who is obligated to deny covert operations, by the way, like that is a lawful. Yeah. But is he obligated to call up an editor of a publication and deny a story? Is that somebody else's job? Uh, that you could delegate that, but right. the, the deputy director is like the assistant principal at school. So you get all the dirty jobs. Yeah. Um, and yes, it is their job to deny lawfully deny, and they can look you dead in the eye and deny and lie to you about a covert operation. It's not unlawful or unethical for them to do so. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved. We are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Um, and, and that was the point I kept trying to make. I was like, look, this guy, we've put him in a position where kind of he has to lie at this point. Yeah. Um, and it's not it's not really his fault. Um, but my problem was that we were now taking that one person's word, that one person's comment off the, his off the record comment, by the way, he was not on the record. 
but I never had an off the record relationship with this individual. So I'm, I'm, I don't mind talking about it. Um, and my problem was that we are now taking his one off the record comment at face value as opposed to these six sources that I was bringing to the table. Um, and now my article was suddenly being edited. All of the meat of the article was being edited out. Uh, I, I, I told my editor, this looks like a high school kid's book report. What is this? Um, and yeah, so it led to a, a lot of consternation um, and to the point that I uh, I ended up pulling the plug on it. I mean, I, I felt like I was put in a position where I had to pull the plug myself because I was like, publishing this work would not have any integrity at this point. There's yeah. no purpose behind even being involved in this. So I was the one that, that opted out at that point. And it wasn't, it wasn't like a cursing each other out or anything. It was like, Hey, you know, I'm going to go in a different direction with this. And they're like, yeah, we respect that Jack, you know, good luck, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Sorry. It didn't work out. Um, and so I published, I ended up publishing it on my own. Jack, where, where do you think the line lies between, between what you are doing, you know, which is, as I said, uh, I mean, it's a function of, of democracy, right? To, to have, to, to have an arm uh, that is purposefully trying to, to find, well, present what is happening to, to the public, right? That's, that's your obligation. But is there a tension? I mean, is, is there a, a point at which you would, you would not release information. I'm not talking about the obvious one where it's going to result in death, mm -hmm. you know, deaths and all that. But it, but short of that, is there a point at which you would say, okay, fellas, I got it. Uh, you know, this is potentially harmful to national security, and and uh, I, and I won't release it. And of course, I bring this up because this topic comes up time and time again, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a it's a really difficult uh, question. I mean, it, national security is important. Um, and the military and the intelligence services are completely justified in keeping certain types of secrets, right? Their sources and methods, their operational TTPs or tactics, techniques, and procedures. Um, all of that, all of that is important. Um, so is, you know, transparency on these organizations and what they're doing. Um, and, you know, from the military's point of view, I mean, I find that their, their, their outlook on it is always that they think they can, they can operate in a void of total secrecy, um, and that none of this stuff can ever come out. No one should ever talk about it. And I mean, in, in a, in a country where you have freedom of the press and freedom of the speech, uh, freedom of speech, it's well, good luck with that. Um, but as a reporter, yeah, you have to figure out where that line is. Um, and th the line that I choose is not a line that the Department of Defense would agree with. Um, but you, I, I still have those certain limits. Um, a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, getting into the specifics. I mean, about, you know, military or, or intelligence sources, like actual intelligence sources. Um, that's something you really got to tiptoe around because, I mean, sometimes you just say we had intelligence through a technical means or we mm -hmm. had human yeah. intelligence, like very vague, because if you were to publish how we knew that, um, that intelligence source would dry up and, and, and disappear because the enemy would adapt. Or in some cases, that source would actually be shot in the back of the head. Yep. So, I mean, you do have to be careful about that sort of stuff. 
Um, it's the same with um, specific military TTPs. Um, you have to be careful about, you know, the the de details matter, especially in war. It's it's very detail oriented. And so you try to capture as much of that as you can, but you want to be careful not to say too much um, about specifics of how maybe we breach and enter and clear a structure or, or certain things like that or or certain ISR capabilities or whatever the case may be. Um, yeah, it, I mean, and you, it, from a reporter's point of view, I mean, you do have to kind of look at that at a case-by-case at -case basis. I'd, I'd say also the other thing is as a reporter, you're reporting on things that have happened and it's important not to get ahead of things that are going to happen. Um, yeah. So even in some of the stuff we've been talking about here, there was additional information of like contingency operations that I knew were being planned that I didn't report on because these were things that might happen. Yeah. And it's not really my role to give away, let's say JSOC's element of surprise, um, which is a huge part of what makes them successful. Um, and as a reporter, I'm not working to take that away from them. Um, I'm looking to report on the things that they've already done. Um, and, you know, when there, especially when there's a combat action that has already taken place, people have been shot, something got blown up. I mean, it, it's not realistic to expect that no one's going to talk about that, I don't think. Um, and that that enters, as you said, into the historical record. Um, and it's something quite different than reporting on what is maybe being happened, what what is being planned for right now. Yeah. Yeah. I just remember. Um, yeah. I mean, it's come up uh, very. It came up uh, in the UK where I was at the time during the Falklands War. It's a, you know, a huge deal. What reporters mm -hmm. could. Couldn't. Um, and I, I remember Jeremy Bowen, BBC reporter, receiving death threats for reporting uh, after it happened. You know, the, the remember when uh, in the Gulf War, the original Gulf War, when some three to four hundred Iraqi civilians were killed in a bunker. Uh, you know, which had, had been struck. And there, there was the, the release of information was not good, as is often the yeah. case with DOD. And so reporters got in first with pictures and everything um, and were accused of being everything, you know, from unpatriotic through, you know, falling in as dupes of the, of the Iraqis. But um, yeah, so good. D, I know I've, we brought us uh, to a conclusion with that excellent question. I just... Do want to comment and and Jack was very good about not naming a publication, um, but General McChrystal was also fucked over by the same publication, uh, which at least puts them in the same boat. Uh -huh. Yeah, I didn't want to say. I wanted to see how like uh, what Jack was that's, comfortable. That's saying. not the only thing that that Jack has in common with General McChrystal, of course. But it's, <laughs> it puts them together in the same foxhole. Jack, any any final thoughts? You, 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 so you're saying I fucked her too? <laughs> you guys are Eskimo brothers. <laughs> Damn, I knew this would come down. <laughs> hey, D, yeah. did we get any mail? No, not that I've seen. What? I got to look through. Yeah, we got to do a better job of pump, punching it I'm out. Get, yeah, I've been asking my friends, but. I'm sorry. I was thinking I was thinking of General Petraeus uh, in, in that scandal. Uh, uh, Gen General McChrystal didn't get uh, he, he was not involved with her. <laughs> oh, oh, right. Yeah. I thought we were about to hear another scoop, Jack. And so that's why I covered <laughs> no, up. Very no, quickly. no, no, no. Yeah. No, I 
perhaps I don't want to hear it about what anyway. Yeah, D, I they that's yeah, that in fact I even got a message from a a guy, a Norwegian guy. So what I'll do is I'll start pushing it towards our Patreon and asking the patrons to ask questions because they're relatively good at that. The thing is, because we pre-record it, it's uh, when we do a live stream, like yeah. the questions come yeah. in right away. So I'll I'll get on the Patreon and hit it more and I, I'll get on like the Twitter too and get it more. And if you're listening right now and you have a question, feel oh, free. There's another thing that comes to mind on, on the, uh, on the sabotage story and the whole thing that went on with that outlet. So Remember I said we were going to give them 48 hours to comment. Yeah, I was going to say something. Yeah. Well, we well we didn't um because now it turned into this fire drill and like, oh, how do we react to this? Um and uh while we were twiddling our thumbs, the CIA leaked a story to the New York Times um all about this particular topic. Brilliant. Basically to blunt it, right? Mm. Um, to, to get their official denial out there. And a lot of it actually had to do with the assassination of Dugina. Mm -hmm. And my, my article had nothing to do with her. Um, but the agency decided that, I mean, it shows you what they were afraid of. Right? It was literally yeah. like five days later after yes. they were asked for comment. This article ends up in the New York Times. <laughs> Thanks. For, so, I wanted to say something, but I don't want to like, right. I wanted you to say it. I'm yeah, sure it's it was a, a coincidence. It was a very, was a very deliberate attempt. Nothing to, to see here. <laughs> to sabotage my sabotage article. Yeah. Um, but hey, I mean, listen, uh, the CIA played the game and arguably they yeah. won that one. I mean, give it to them. I I mean, good for them, I guess. Yeah, but where's that editor now? He Lose. uh he he just resigned. Yeah. yeah. Poor guy. Felt terrible. Interesting. I mean, I don't know. Life's I I mean, I don't think I would I would work with that person again, but Life's too short to hold a grudge. Yeah. I mean, me and Sean are moving forward with our own work, and that's what's important. To I hold me. Jack's grudges for him. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're you're right about that. Life is too short to hold a grudge, which is why I'm back under the uh, under the purview of the team house, even though um, thanks to Max even Blue though you, spl you splashed and, down in the New yeah, York Times as oh well man. because of the the team <laughs> well, house everywhere. Yeah, and I got you a mention in the New York Times, by the way. <laughs> Thank we have you. that we have that hung up somewhere. Jew and Tali to me. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Where the New York Times said that the team house is a podcast where guests are invited into a living room setting to drink hard alcohol with the hosts. Yeah, I noticed you changed your policy on that, and after that, it, it became less of a hardcore press to to get guests to to drink. <laughs> it was no in studio. Those, those were the halcyon days, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, Jack and me and Dave brought it to its not so much Dave, but certainly Jack at different times, different occasions, <laughs> brought the concept to its nadir. And uh, I say, hey, I do have something actually because we didn't get regular mail. I did get a uh, follow up. Do you remember we we're talking last week about Russia? With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Glide bombs. Mm -hmm. Watch this, okay? I'm going to demonstrate this very quickly. I'm not a pilot, but I'm doing my best. All right, so here's an SU-35. 
it comes along behind the Ukrainian lines. My note, this is Ukrainian lines. It lobs yep. a glide bomb, right? Yep. And, the, and the problem is that patriots like the high asset ADA assets, you know, that, that can intercept glide bombs are high value targets. So the Ukrainians keep them behind lines, right? And they can't reach the Russian aircraft. Well, they, what they've started to do is conduct patriot raids, all right? They fix, they, you know, they, they get a, they get a beat on the, uh, the incoming, um, uh, SU-35 or, I mean, they, they can tell when it takes off. All right. No kidding. And they, they get everything lined up. Um, and then what they do is they just, they push the Patriots up. Literally it's like a thunder run. Unlimited. Then they fire. And as soon as those missiles are in the air, they pull back to their, their previous position. I mean, they're going right up on the line to do that, to extend the range of Patriots. So you see what I'm saying about using us assets to, yeah. to, to really, I mean, to, to change doctrine. It's pretty, mm -hmm. anyway, I thought that was interesting. Awesome. A nerd. <laughs> All right. Do you want me to, uh, I'll wrap up, but any, Jack, uh, do you have anything else you want to, you want to talk yes. about? No, no, not really. Okay. I mean, thank you guys for having me on the show. Yeah, Jack, great, uh, a great pleasure. This, you know, I'm sorry that we, we didn't have bourbon to, to offer you, but this is a, uh, this is a nice show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 do you got you got anything no nothing i just want everyone to like subscribe if you're listening to us on audio rate and review at five stars it helps us big time uh any questions you can hit up uh the team house podcast at gmail.com uh yeah and tell your friends about it it's important it uh, helps us out a lot that's Jason. all i got yeah i just thanks man for coming on jack's a good friend i've known him for years we've had some pretty awesome talk so some of the things that he bought up oh, as yeah. he started i was like oh, i remember this one so uh it's just <laughs> uh if you want the good stories that's that's the one the man to go to just bring a cigar that's all so yeah you are jack's mentor you're the man to blame yes <laughs> yeah. all right well on that exactly. note i i uh i will wrap up and please uh dear audience send send in send in questions or, or comments good comments uh, especially uh you can send them directly to Jack or uh, the the regular Team House uh, podcast until we get our own our own communications infrastructure established. And we will see you again in three days, uh, talking about topic unknown. At this point, all the best. Thanks, everybody.